Good morning. Oh, let's try that again. Good morning. There you go. You sound like you're in here. Man, a lot of traveling. I've already met a few guests this morning that are probably new in our community. We want to say welcome once again. Hope you'll come back and join us often. I don't know. I want to ask a question today. Has anybody in the room ever been on a diet? Yeah. Anybody in the room need to be on a diet? Don't grab anybody and raise their hand. Well, let me tell you, I, I got a diet here, man. I, I, it's called the stress diet. You know, I've been talking to a lot of people, man, people are just stressed out, and this is about living a stress-filled or overcoming a stress-filled life. And uh, see, see if this will work for you. This is pretty good. For breakfast, half a grapefruit, one slice of whole wheat toast, and eight ounces of skim milk. Now, I, I got to tell you, that make, that make me a little mean, a little feisty, you know. But it is healthy, and I, and I really, I don't really eat much for breakfast, so I could probably make it on that. Now, listen to lunch. Four ounces of lean broiled chicken breast. Tastes like rubber. Okay, one cup of steamed spinach, one cup of herb tea, and one Oreo cookie. Now, I'm going to tell you, there was one good thing about uh, breakfast there. I kind of like the Oreo cookie, you know what I'm saying? And man, and this is supposed to be the stress diet. Listen to the mid-afternoon snack. It's getting better. The rest of the Oreos in the package. Two pints of Rocky Road ice cream, nuts, cherries, and whipped cream. One jar of hot fudge sauce. Now, I'm telling you, I'm starting to feel this stress diet. How about you? Oh, we're not through yet. Listen to dinner. Man, if, if you don't just want to puke or regurgitate or vomit, listen to this. Here's dinner. Two loaves of garlic bread, four cans of one large pitcher of Coke, and one large pitcher of Coke, one large sausage, mushroom, and cheese pizza, and then three Snicker bars. But it's not over. There's one more part. Then you get a late uh, evening snack after that. Uh, frozen uh, Sara Lee cheesecake eaten directly from the freezer. Now, that's just gross, but, but listen to this. Here's the rules for this diet. Number one, if you eat something and no one sees you eat it, it has no calories. Now, I'm liking that. <laughs> Do I have any people need to come forward and confess? Yeah. If you drink a diet soda with a candy bar, the diet soda cancels out all the calories you've had up to then. You know, I, I just want to say something, y'all. I don't understand this when everybody goes and gets a Diet Coke, but you go to buffets. I mean, I just don't get it. Okay. The third thing, when you eat with someone else, calories don't count if you, if you do not eat more than they do. Okay, that's pretty cool. Listen to this. When you go to the movie, uh, the related foods, the whole thing there, the, they don't have additional calories because they're part of the entertainment package, and they're not part of one's personal fuel. So, example, when you get a big bucket of popcorn or milk duds or something fun, Red Hots, it doesn't count because it's just the entertainment package. And then I like this. Things licked off knives and spoons have no calories if you're in the process of preparing something, women. It could be men. I don't cook. I, I wish I did. And then here, here's the last one. Everything consumed while standing has no calories. This is due to gravity and the destiny of the, or the density of the caloric mass. Yeah, right. We, we do think, though, if we stand and eat it, we can get away with it. Does anybody belong to that club? Yeah. Well, this is, this is the stress diet. Now, I want to talk to you, and here in the book of 2 Peter, we've made it all this far in the New Testament, and we're going to break for a season. These people find themselves under heavy persecution. The church is filled with stress, and they're scattered. I told you last weekend there was this wicked Roman emperor that thought he was a god, a little g himself, and his name was Nero. And he burned Christians at the stake. He fed them to wild animals and beasts. 
this would not have been your favorite guy. You wouldn't want a postage stamp with his picture on it. You know what I'm saying? And this, this guy was tough, but he, th- that's what we find ourselves there in the book of 2 Peter. Is It's just a, uh, the, the church, I think it has intensity. Uh, there's definitely solid believers, but persecution is hard. And here's what we know. Here we are in 2011, a long ways from when this was first written, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And yet, people today are fighting, and they're, and they're full of stress, and they have hard times, and they're trying to think, how do I go? How do I go on from here? First Peter is all about the grace of God. And we walked through that last weekend. But Second Peter is about the knowledge of God, about knowing God. Not just about God, but knowing Him intimately, knowing God personally and trying to track with that. Now, there's a passage here I want you to look at. We're going to turn all through these three chapters. There's only three chapters in 2 Peter, so it's not real hard. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Can you turn there with me? Now, as you look there, you'll see this. In 2 Peter 3.18, we find these words. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now, right there, he just jumps in there and he talks about, now I want you to do something. I want you to grow. I want you to grow in grace. And we're going to talk about growth this morning because growth is so vital for a Christ follower, for somebody that wants to mature, somebody that wants to get off the milk of the word, and they want to move on to, to, to the meat of God's word, and they, and they want to digest it, and they want to just go for all that God's got. But in these three chapters, I want you to just write there in your outline. We'll give you some information here. This may be a help. In chapter 1, there's challenges that we see listed for committed Christians, for those that follow Christ, for those that want to walk in the ways of God. And, and in there you see, man, what's this Christian life all about, man? Are we going to be able to endure? Are we going to be able to make it? And then, he, and then he goes on, he goes, but I want you to go with some depth. I want you to deepen your faith. And let me just say this. It is so critical if you're a Christ follower that your faith deepens year after year, that you move on, you progress in your spiritual disciplines, you get to know more of God's heart, you grow up, you know more than just repentance, and you begin to follow the ways of Jesus Christ. One of the spiritual disciplines we practice around here sometimes is fasting. And so many people come to me and they say, I've never fasted. But it's all in the scripture. Jesus didn't go, you know, if you think about it, he goes, when you fast, do these things, and we get spiritual breakthroughs. In chapter 2, he goes, he listed there, and now there's dangers to those that are in Christ. There's um, a, a dangerous situation. We'll talk about the danger that he is very clearly going to articulate a position. And, and that same danger is today, and I'm going to cover that with you. And he goes, uh, but I want you to be solid, and I want you to be protected. I want you to write that down somewhere. I want you to be solid in your faith, and I want you to be protected from the darts of the evil one and what comes. And then he moves on to chapter 3, and now he goes, now this is inspiration. This is where I want to inspire you. This is where, if you're anxious, Christian, I want to inspire you about your future. I want, I want to tell you about what's ahead. I want, to, I want to motivate you. But I want you to know there's a delay in route. There, there's a process working, but you, you will get there. J- just hang on now. Let's look there together. Chapter 1. How can I, ready, grow my faith? How can I grow my faith? That is a question every Christ follower should ask themselves consistently. How do I grow? Now, if you followed Pastor Keith's stress diet today, I promise you, you will grow physically. Your pants and shirts will need to be bigger. You'll have to get bigger belts, bigger everything. I mean, it, it, man, you can grow. I guarantee, well, I say guarantee, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody 
uh, I actually have a couple of those on my staff. They're really incredibly active, and they have high metabolisms, and man, I hate them for that. But uh, Mark and Jeff, I mean, they, they have so much activity, and they go and go and go. But uh, I know Mark will tell you, he says, man, I want to gain some weight, you know. And how many of you feel sorry for Mark? You want him to gain weight. How many of you want to do that? You know, I was in that same boat. I know you're looking at like, oh, gee, somebody prayed for you. I mean, I wasn't ever quite as lean as, as, as Mark, but I lifted a lot of weights. But there's for, there was years that I would eat and eat and eat, and I couldn't gain weight because I was too active. My metabolism ran too high. And then I got a little older, and then I, I got a desk job and all that, and you begin to sit, and you get a little more sedentary, and you do some other things. And how many of you, honestly, how many of you would love to go back and have metabolism when you were younger? Wouldn't that be fun again? I mean, how many of you long to have ice cream every night? Anybody? Oh, let me ask another guy. How many of you have ice cream every night? Okay. Well, I, you know, anyway, just, just a thought. Okay. So he, he, he talks here about, I want to get you to grow your faith. Now, let's look at this. Fill this in. Indecision will weaken your life, but respond to God's invitation. You and I, when we're in, indecisive, when there, we don't have the ability to focus and we don't make a decision, every time our faith weakens, we, we decide here... Look here in 2 Peter. He begins to say right here in the very first part in chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. His divine power, the grace, the goodness, the fullness, the power, the Holy Spirit lives within us. It resides within us as a Christ follower. And we can fully participate in that nature. And this morning, if you want to grow in faith, you participate in the nature. You embrace the nature. You express the nature of God. This morning, just ask ourselves, are we participating in the nature of God? Like, you, you mean, I have God's nature? Well, you do. Are you, are you embracing that? Are you entertaining that? Are you, are you drawing close to it? And he goes, and it all, though, begins with a new birth, and it extends all the way for his glory forever and ever, and you give, you give praise to him for eternity. But you begin to take steps, and as we take steps, we receive mercy. As we take steps, we're inspired. As we take steps, we're motivated. As we take steps of faith, we grow. This morning, uh, simply, there's probably a step you need to take. It could be that uh, let me say this. In a few weeks, we're going to be pushing small groups. If you want to grow in your faith, and I beg you to as your pastor, you've got to be in Christian, authentic community with other believers where they hold you accountable and you grow and you do questions and answers. Maybe you join a Bible fellowship class upstairs at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. Maybe there's a Bible study fellowship or a Beth Moore study or there's something, and you just begin to say, that is the one thing I'm going to add to my life this year. And of course, it goes without stating You've got to have that personal walk every day where you go, every day I will get into God's word, I will grow in his likeness. And I want you to see this. this. This is important that we look at this. The Christian life always begins with faith. It always begins with faith. But here's what I know. So many people, in, in, especially in the Bible Belt, but even across America, we get confused that we think we're a Christian nation. And man, we have drifted away from that, haven't we, church? And we think we have Christian ordeals. I mean, this whole thing of... Anyway, I won't get into that. But the Christian life, here's what it does. I hear it, pastor in a community church. Pastor, my Christian faith began with my, uh, my infant baptism. My Christian faith began with uh, catechisms. My Christian faith began with confirmation. And I want to say it did not. Those were important elements. 
But your Christian faith begins when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And the church said, that's where it starts. It's in Christ, in Christ alone. And that's what gets us right with God. It's not because we went to all these things and did all these classes. I mean, those, those things are important. I'm not trying to slam that. But we take steps, we begin. But look at this. This is critical. Well, I, I got ahead of myself. I, I, I want to say this to you. It begins here with a person. Look, look there right in the top of your page. The Christian life begins with faith, and that faith is in a person. And that person is who? Jesus. You just place all your trust in him. You get to know Christ. The second part of the Trinity, the Son, the Savior, the author, the perfecter of, protector of faith. And you go, Lord, I want to know you. I want to follow you. God, I give it all. I want to have knowledge of you, Jesus. But listen, listen. You grow in the grace, in the knowledge. And it's important that we grow and it's important that we study the Word. But it's not enough just to have knowledge. I meet Christians a lot of times that have cerebral knowledge, unbelievable. unbelievable. They're they have such a grasp of uh, eschatology and sociology and all these things. I mean, man, they just understand, but they don't, they don't walk in the knowledge that they have. They, they, just, they just have a big head. They just, they're puffed up. In the, in, in the scriptures, they talk about gnosis and knowledge, and they talk about the Gnostics and, and how they thought they had supreme knowledge. But then there's a second thing. Look at it there in your outline. It goes, it begins with faith in a person, but it also begins with faith in, his, in verses 3 and 4. And his promises. Where do you find God's promises? Right here. Do you have faith in the promises of God? This week, as many of you have, and as I hope all of you will take advantage of this, I had one of my days that I've signed up for, and I went up here in the front hospitality gathering area, and those brown chairs that I see many of you sit in. They, you know, I don't ever sit in them, and, they, and they're really cool. I just went up there and just read my Bible. I just read through several chapters of Isaiah, because that was the reading that was picked. And I just began to pray for you. I prayed for this morning. I prayed for our church. And I just began to see more the nature of God. And I began to see here the promises of God. And I began to claim some of those promises for our church. And some of you have been praying for our church. You're watchmen on the wall this year. And I hope everybody will participate in that. Here's the cool thing about watchmen on the wall. You do it alone. You do it with Abba. You just get your Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, we'll provide a Bible, and you just come up here, and you just read the Scripture, and then you, you just pray. And it's amazing how God will intersect your life, and He'll begin to speak. But you, you begin with faith, and you begin to say, God, I, I want to grow in my faith this year. I, I want to move forward. These promises encourage me in, in, in moving on. But look at the second point. Complacency will weaken my life, refuse to settle. If you're complacent today and you go, man, I put my trust in Christ when I was five years old or six or 16 or 60 or whatever, that's good. That's the starting point. The Christian life begins with, with faith. But don't be complacent. Be content in Christ, but don't be complacent. I mean, if, if you're just, um, let me say this this morning. I, I just sense I need to say this. Uh, devotionals are good, and I'm glad you're reading that, and that's a lot better than reading nothing. But when you read a devotional, it's already somebody else's journey and their thought process. And uh, there's one that Don and I and the girls have. It's my favorite all time. Jesus Calling, isn't that the name of it, sweetie? And, and I love that. It's, this lady has an amazing ability. A lot of people in our congregation have Jesus Calling. You might want to write that down. It's a great devotional, and it's a great thing to just kind of get you there. But do not ever substitute a devotional for the word of the Lord God Almighty. Amen? 
read your Bible. Begin to let God's word get into you. Let it begin to root in you. Let it begin to take uh, truth and, and, and you embrace truth. And you say, God, I believe this. Because if, if you just get complacent and you choose not to grow, it's a sad commentary. But if you choose to grow this year, oh my goodness. I mean, doesn't anybody want to be sad about you? That woman, that man, that teenager, that young person. Oh my goodness. Christ shaped them. Christ formed them this year. They became new. They were framed by the word of God. Matter of fact, I, I want you to see some things here that, that are critical today. In uh, verses 5 through 9, he says this. It's a long passage, but I want to walk you through this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So he says, don't just stay at salvation. Grow in your faith. Move forward. But look what he says to it. Add to your faith. Add to your faith. It starts with faith, but you don't stop. You add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. What did, what did they say on the screen today? Perseverance, what our kids have been studying. And to perseverance, what godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they keep you from what? They keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and they're blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Now I want to break this down. I want you to open your Bibles right there if you hadn't opened it. There in Second Peter, I want you to circle some words. There's something about, I mean, if you look at my Bibles, you, you see uh, little arrows and circles and boxes and I draw pictures and a, a hot, man, let me tell you, I just know we're going to have highlighters in heaven, and I highlight everything. Man, I have a party, and I'm like, man, 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 look at it, I'm not lying. I mean, it's all through my Bibles, and I want to mark, and I want you to begin to mark them up, but I want you to circle some words today. Are you ready? There in chapter 1, look there in, um, in verse 5, I want you to circle the word goodness. Circle the word goodness with me. And I know some of you just got, Pastor, I, I don't write in my Bible. Get over it, write in it. I mean, there's nothing that thrills me more when I do a funeral for somebody. It's one of the first questions I ask, may I have your Bible? I love Bibles that have been marked. Circle goodness, then I want you to circle knowledge, then I want you to circle self-control, then I want you to circle perseverance, then I want you to circle godliness, then I want you to circle brotherly kindness, yours might say mutual affection, and then I want you to circle love. I want you to circle those seven characteristics, those seven qualities now, here's an illustration. I, I learned this from living with a wonderful woman and having great girls, and, and some of you, a lot of you do this. You cook, and do I have any people that like to bake out there? Do you, how many of you like to bake? I mean, hold them high. I want to see them. Let, let's take a picture of this. I want to see all these people when we need cake or something. Okay. The rest of you, I don't want your cake. It'd probably be horrible. When, when you make a cake, you, you have to get all these ingredients, and you begin to lay them out on the counter, and you begin to add those one at a time. Now, what happens when you choose not to add an ingredient to your cake? It's usually busted. It's usually horrible. I mean, and, uh, and it's funny how we train our little girls when they're little. We give them those little Susie homemaker ovens or whatever that thing. What's it? Easy bake. That's, that's it. I knew it was Susie something. Home Easy bake. And anyway, y'all just give me the illustration. But, you, you know, they, they learn as a little kid. And maybe you, and maybe you boys like, man, I easy bake pastor. Well, that's good. I, I probably had a pink T-shirt too. But, but the thing is here, 
you, you begin to add these ingredients. And here's spiritually, I want you to see what I'm saying today. You begin to add these seven things that we just talked about to your faith. Maturity comes. Growth happens. I want to break it down for you quickly. Goodness here. You, you claim that you have faith, but man, where's, really, where's God in this? And then the faith and the knowledge. You're clueless about what you believe. Choose to grow. Choose to get wisdom from your Heavenly Father. And then he says, and then have faith, but let it add to its self-control. If you're out of control and you need to be master over your sinful nature, ask God to give you self-control. It's also Galatians 5, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you're faith, you need perseverance, but you quit. Let me just say this. In the day and age that I pastor... I've never seen more people want to quit about everything. They want to quit marriage. They want to quit church. They want to quit relationships. They want to quit their job. They just want to quit. The church cannot quit. The church has to endure. The church has to persevere. The church has to persevere. We can't just go, well, you know, you know, somebody else will do it. No, they won't. And then the faith, you add here, godliness here, because you get after God's heart, you get a correct attitude after Him. And the faith, you add brotherly kindness, and that just means... You're just nice to people. You, you love the house of faith. You begin to do, and then the faith, you add love. You begin to go deeper. You begin to, to walk in the agape love of our Heavenly Father. You begin to express that, and, and in the expression comes spiritual maturity. But he says, add these things. But this morning, when I think about, I'll go back to the top, goodness. There was a guy that died several months ago phenomenal coach he's known as the greatest coach that's ever coached this particular game and when they described him on ESPN they didn't talk about all the championships he's won because he has an unprecedented amount of trophies and paraphernalia but they talked and this man was a strong Christ follower he loved Jesus he died way up in his 90s can't you, you have that ready I want us to watch this Uh, to, to just 
just, 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 just. I mean, he was good. He wasn't that good. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, I know I've watched this several times, but I know I just heard that. <laughs> we should have just watched the rest of the morning like the pastor. Now. Okay. Coach Wooden was a good man. He was a phenomenal coach. But, you know, when you really think about it, you just think about, but he possessed these things in his life. He was holy. Did you hear what happened to him when he was little? What did his mom and dad do with him? They read to him what? Scripture and poetry. I, I could have done without the poetry. But they, they, read, they read Scripture to him. And all his life, they, they said when Coach Wooden would coach, he wouldn't come in and, like, scream at you and yell at you and talk about the game. He would find some character trait that you needed in your life, and he would try to build men for life. I mean, just an amazing man. So this morning, he talk, we talk about that, but let's move on here because then we, discouragement weakens our life and we remember the rewards. Discouragement. You know, we all live in a day and age and, and maybe just where we are in life, we get discouraged. And when you get discouraged, you give the enemy a foothold into your life and it begins to weaken you. And this church here in Second Peter, when we talk about the church being scattered there at Asia Minor, Man, they were weakened, and I think they were discouraged because of what they were seeing and what was being propagated, the false teachers and things that were coming on their life. But let's look at this scripture here together. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort, underline that in your Bible, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Make it sure, be steadfast. For you, If you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that not the most important thing in life? That one day God is going to welcome, welcome you and I into the eternal kingdom of His Son. Amen? I mean, that's the most important thing. I mean, Coach Wooden, I, I got excited, and I got my pointer because I got one now, and I just shined. I mean, did you see all those stinking trophies? I mean, can you imagine his garage? I mean, can you imagine... Uh, National championship, let's throw that away, uh, yard sale. No, man, unbelievable, but it's nothing con compared to receiving a rich welcome unto Jesus Christ. Now look at the second point, we're, we're moving to chapter 2. He talks about growing your faith in chapter 1. Now chapter 2, he goes, now how can I guard my faith? Now, this is critical, how do you guard your faith? Because your faith is being attacked. If you have a strong faith, it's even attacked more because the devil wants to come. So you learn to make God-honoring decisions in a multiple-option world. I know this, man. There's so many options. There's, there's so many counterfeit gods out there and religions and, and experiences. But in 2 Peter, we begin to see these words. But there were also false prophets among the people there in that day, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now let me stop. Today... America, the world, is filled with false teachers. It's not my job right now that I'm going to slander or slam anybody, but I see a false teacher, and let me just tell you, some of them are on television, okay? They don't preach the true, unadulterated word of the Lord God. They begin to do things that fit their appetites, and they begin to live extravagantly and, and, and begin to rip people off and they will answer for that I, I don't have to worry about that but just as they will be false teacher they will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign lord he brought them bringing swift destruction on themselves you see god will judge us all and he'll judge the evil many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute i mean i don't you and i don't have to worry about vengeance and getting it right the father's going to make it right but he calls us to be holy. He calls us to follow him. In 2 Peter 1, uh, 20, he says, 
he begins to say here, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, as, as God carries people along, as he carried them, they begin to speak the truths, the oracles of God, because it wasn't men's... Uh, fable it wasn't something men made up it, it was god's truth that he was bringing to the people but i want i want to say something to this real quick there's tactics of false teachers i want to just give you two they're not in your notes you might want to add this it's kind of bonus deal number one a false teacher will deny the master who bought them every false teacher one of their things is they will deny the master they will deny jesus they will deny the father and they'll begin to eat up in their own thing. They'll get in their own shame. They begin to try to figure out, and, and uh, they, uh, uh, they, they deny. Now, let me tell you, it's funny that we talk about denying Jesus because this book is written by a man that knows about denial. His name was Peter. And remember I told you last weekend he got scared away by the little girl? Yeah. But he goes on to be the great leader of the church in the book of Acts. And he's a great prophet for us this morning. He's speaking. He goes, hey, don't deny the master. That's what a fault. And the second one I'll give you this is this this morning. They will despise authority. They will despise the authority of the word of God. They will try to manipulate it into what they want. They will just begin to extract sections out of it. And uh, it, it's just a sad thing. Now, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I, I want to move to this. Right here. In the middle of your page, I want you to see here, how do you cult-proof your faith? Years ago, as a youth pastor, I began to study about cults and began to talk about it. And matter of fact, it was a dark season for me studying this. I didn't realize how uh, demonic it was and how off-base. And, and then somebody would come to me and say, hey, could you come speak about it? And after a while, I go, I don't want to speak about it anymore. I, I want to get in the light. I, all this dark stuff's kind of getting on my nerves. But number one, how do you cult-proof your faith? Fill it in. They lured people away from God instead of closer to him. Cults always have an agenda. It's not to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to point you to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's to point you to themselves. It's to add on. And we could talk about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Baha'is, and we could just talk about any number of cults today. Man, I've got books on this. I've studied this. I, I've embraced people. I haven't embraced a cult, but I've embraced people that are, are confused. And I'm like, God, help us begin to see that there's false teachers. And what I just want to remind us today, there, there's false teachers out there. Look at the second one here. They're more interested in popularity than telling the truth. Here's what a false teacher will do. They want a crowd. They want to itch ears. They don't want to tell the full counsel of God. They, they want to tell it to where it still makes them look good, and they're kind of high and lofty, and they're elevated, and they get everything they want. So they're more interested in popularity than, than the truth of the gospel. And you're like, man, I, I, let's look at the third one. This is critical. They disvalue the cross. Somehow the cross is not sufficient. Somehow the cross is not enough. Somehow the cross is not the only way to God. And let me tell you, friend, the cross is the only way to Jesus. The cross. I love to preach the cross because the cross has got power. The cross points us to God. The cross is where I see my shame and sin and guilt. The cross is where you and I get forgiven. And anybody, if you begin to study, you begin to see they get caught up in this, and they go, no, it's, it, the work's not finished and they might even say, well, Jesus was a moral teacher. He was good, but you need to join. Our, listen, oh, here you go. Join our church 
Let me tell you, if I ever told you you need a cross plus Christ community, oh my goodness, y'all run with me. Let's pack our bags and go, okay? You need Jesus. Now, I hope you love our church and you make the church as the living body of Christ, but we don't need the church like in the whole Mormon uh, tradition. That you need their temple. You need this, and you do not. You need Jesus. You need the cross. Amen. I just got, got a hammer. You're going, but we, we know that. The world didn't know that. The world... I remember when I was doing seminary studies, they had a debate, they had discussion, they talked about taking down the cross because it was offensive. The cross has always been offensive, friend. They take down the cross. And then, here, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple bonus ones. Number four, they breed an attitude of spiritual elitism and pride. Cults think they have the market on truth, and they're prideful, and they, they go, if you do this, if you follow this set of rules, no. And the fifth one is they built upon a brand, they build upon brand new insights and teachings, and they have modern day prophets. They, we, no. Here's the prophets I'm listening to. How about you? These prophets have been tried and tested for centuries. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's the antidote, 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow, there it is in 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think here's what Peter would say this morning. Put effort into it. Grow. Beware of the counterfeits. I remember studying this 20, 30 years ago. I always wondered, how do, the, how do they teach bankers and bank tellers to, to find counterfeit money? And I remember the first time I ever came across this, it was fascinating. I thought, well, how do they know all the different dyes and papers and weights and all that? You know what they do? They deal with so much of the real thing and so much of the real thing and so much of the real thing that when the false thing comes, they know by the way it feels. And we should know so much of the truth of Jesus Christ because we're so saturated with the word that when error comes, we know in our spirit, man, that it's counter to the gospel. So, man, we've got, we got to say, God, well, I know I want to handle the truth. And then here, here's the last one quickly. So that's the antidote. But here he is. How can I give my faith? Well, I've got to do this. You've got to keep your cool. That doesn't sound very spiritual, but you keep your cool. You, you, you keep a clear head. You begin to say, God, I want to focus on you. Look at uh, there in chapter 3, verses 3, 4, and 8. Listen to these scriptures. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming, he promised. But new, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, I don't know about you, but in this day that we live, I meet a lot of people that are Christians, and they've lost their cool, they've lost their head, they've lost their witness. And then somebody will say, well, i got teenagers at my house. I lose my head all the time. I don't, I don't know. Don't blame it on teenagers. We always blame everything on teenagers. You ever notice that? I mean, like, man, it's a teenager's fault. Like, here's, if something happens at the church, we blame it on the teenagers. And they're like, you know, like, now a lot of times it is the teenagers. And I'm not saying that this, like the other day, you don't know this, we had people putting obscene messages at the church on our, on our sign. They were, they were breaking in and they were putting gross things on the sign. Now, I don't see a group of 50-year-old men saying, hey, let's go over and hit the church, man, and let's mess with the sign. I mean, they might. I don't know. It was probably some elementary or high schoolers or junior highers or I don't know, out here trying to be foolish, but Anyway, here we go. 
Secondly, you keep looking forward. That's what Peter would tell us here. Here in in the scripture, by the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, but they were kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But move down to verse 13 and 14. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. I'm so glad that God's slow in keeping his promise. It's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to faith and repentance in his son. But many will not choose the cross. They'll disvalue the cross. So we, we keep looking forward in faith. Let me, let me give you this and I'll come back. You keep sharing your faith. That's what Peter would say. Be active in your faith sharing. Be active in your witness. Make Christ known. Open your mouth. People all the time, you know, I can just live a good life. Well, that is good, but I, I know people that are in cults that are more moral than most of us you got to open your mouth. And then here's a fourth one. You keep expecting God's best. Here in 2 Peter, by the time you get to chapter 3 and you're getting toward the end, you're seeing the power of God. But you're also in chapter 3, you're seeing the day of the Lord. And you're seeing judgment. And it's being reserved for fire. And it's kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And then in verse 9, chapter 3, follow with me. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Is that good news, church? that's why Jesus hasn't come back yet he's still slow in keeping his promise because he's calling people to himself but we have to be willing to respond and and we expect God's best and we begin to see God for what it is but this day of the Lord here a day of radical change where God breaks in but if you study all this in depth you'll begin to see that Peter puts out some very heavy things and he he says this to us there in verse 5 chapter 3 Forget the evidence in a deliberate manner. They're, they're breaking uh, in for judgment in history. And, and, and he begins to tell us that one day it's all going to come loose. In Colossians, the word of God says, the word of God holds all things together. Jesus holds all things and sustains. He holds the protons and the neutrons and the nucleus. He holds it all together. But here in 2 Peter, we begin to see this truth. And, and they didn't understand the things that we understand today, but one day all this is going to be let loose, and it's all just going to burn. It's going to be consumed. It's going to not be held together. But there's good news. I mean, I don't want to leave you on that. You begin to invest in the holy, and you let holiness define your life. And Christ says, there's a new heaven for you. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you for your amazing love today. And, Lord, uh, I thank you that one day a grand finale is coming. And, Lord, I pray that we would be prepared for that day. And, Lord, I thank you that you have been slow in keeping your promise and you have delayed judgment that all might come to faith in Christ. I pray today, Lord, as the worship team sings this powerful song, Come Thou Fount, that, Lord, we would come and we would worship you, Jesus. Lord, you are clear that as we know this earth today, it will fade and it will burn. But people in your word will last forever. Make us holy in this place. Please rise to your feet with me. One of my favorite hymns, the worship team's going to lead us in. Don't leave because this is a holy moment. The altar's open if you want to come. Worship him.
Take a 